Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. As you uh, make your way back to your seats and get situated, uh, for those of you who are just joining us, we're wrapping up a series called Christmas Through the Ages, where we were kind of looking at different ages in history and how Christmas was done and some of the different ways people celebrated and how that impacted us. And we started with uh, a Christmas carol. How many people read the book or saw a movie or saw a TV show or something based on it? Uh, And it was uh, 1843, Charles Dickens wrote this book called The Christmas Carol. And it was actually originally his plan. I think I said this when I I talked about it. His plan was not to write that. His plan was initially to go out and write a government report so he could shed light on the plight of the poor. And in addition to that, he wanted to get people focused on returning back to traditional Christmas celebrations rather than all the commercialism and all that stuff. Um, Instead of writing the report, he thought, I will write this Christmas carol that shows where we are um, and where we need to be. Uh, And then we talked about uh, last week, World War II, uh, separation of family and the the pains of war and uh, how people just, uh, all the things that they had to endure in their their traditional Christmas was kind of, for lack of a better term, violated because they, wor- they couldn't be with family and friends. They were separated by, you know, several, you know, nations apart. Uh, some of them were lost during the war. And before I continue, uh, let me do this. Uh, I want us to take a moment and just pray for our military because the same is true today. Uh, there are many military families that are separated because of war, because of one's loved ones who were lost during the war. Uh, there are some people who are in the military and they're not at war, but they're just so far away that it's impossible or their duties won't allow them to stay or visit or see their loved ones over the Christmas holidays. So uh, just bow your heads for a minute uh, and let's lift up our military. God, we acknowledge that Uh, Some of the freedoms that we enjoy uh, were provided uh, by the military people who serve this nation. We acknowledge that they are going through some hardships. We acknowledge lots of people are, whether they be financial or missing family members. But we also acknowledge that the hardship that a lot of our military go through as they spend time away from family and loved ones. And we pray that you would just lift up people around them to love on them, to encourage them, to support them, to be there for them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, Now, here's the thing. When Stephen was talking about World War II, he was highlighting that a lot of the things that we see today came from the Christmas era during World War II. Uh, A lot of the commercialism that we see today came out of that. Uh, One of the things, and this was, I thought this was pretty cool because I didn't know this until he said it, um, the whole decorating Christmas lights thing 
like major outdoor decoration uh, that came out of that era. I didn't know that. Did anyone see the show? What's it called? Uh, Great Christmas Light Fight. Did anyone see that? Okay. All right. Let me ask. Does any did everyone heard of it? Okay. Because I I tried to watch it, but it did not throw me just to watch people put lights on. It's like watching grass grow. <laughs> just watching you plug in and put lights around your house. It wasn't thrilling to me, but. The fact that there's a lot of people, and you guys have probably driven around the places uh, where a lot of people spend a lot of time decorating their houses, uh, and that's awesome. Now, uh, also, during this whole series that we've been doing, there was a, a consistent trend of focusing on getting people back to spending time with family during Christmas. Uh, and this particular series that we're, or message that we're doing is on a time, I don't know if people spend time with their family or not, um, but we are at, I love the 80s, uh, and I don't know if many of you were, some of you weren't born during the 80s, or you don't remember the 80s, because you were kind of young, uh, some of us, we had a lot of fun in the 80s, it's okay, raise your hand, don't be ashamed, that's right, all right, praise God, we had a lot of fun in the 80s, um, in my head it wasn't just hand raising, it was a lot of clapping, but there are other things that came out of the 80s that were good, some pretty cool stuff, and there are some things that came out of the 80s that were not so good. Now, if you go online, okay, uh, and you look at this, you'll see, you could just search best of the 80s, worst of the 80s, you'll come up with all kind of stuff, all right? So I just compiled a short list, but this is not based on the internet, this is just my preference, and as I show you these things, some of them might resonate with you. Some of them, you guys will be like, no, 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 don't know what you're talking about, all right? But uh, some of the cool things that came out of the 80s, for me, my culture, um, just of the top three, number three was hip-hop music, back before they turned hip-hop to rap, okay? But hip-hop music was awesome in the 80s. It started in the 80s. Now, for some of you, you're like, what is hip-hop? Is that a movie, Easter? No. But... For some of you, what came out of the 80s was metal music. You don't have to raise your hand, but anyone did the metal? Yeah, okay. A lot of you had the metal music, uh, the, the, all that kind of stuff. Um, and pop music really kicked back up in the 80s with, like, the whole, you may not be a fan of, but Michael Jackson thing kind of kicked the 80s back up. How many people were, like, every time they showed a video, you'd watch it to see exactly when his hair caught on fire? Anybody? Okay, I did that because every time they showed it, I was like, was it that? There it is, there it is. But a lot of, lot of music came up out of the 80s. For me, personally, it was hip-hop, and I realize a lot of you guys have your own opinion about hip-hop. But I imagine for a moment, all right, rather than the hip-hop you heard like today on the radio, if, for example, our praise team were doing hip-hop music, it would look, yeah, we went there, something like this. Here's the deal. We cannot go on until we get at least Patty to stand up and go like this. Come on, Patty. One time. Just one time. Come on. <laughs> All right. Awesome. That is so cool. All right. But for some of you guys, maybe it wasn't hip hop, but a lot of good music came out of the 80s. Another good thing. Uh, that came out of the 80s was a sense of community that transcended just local communities. How many of you guys remember Hands Across America? Anybody? Yeah, that was powerful. It was the entire globe basically acknowledging 
our little center of the globe is not all there is, that we are connected. And if, if you were around, if you didn't participate in it, uh, you tr- kept track of it and on the news and everywhere where it was blowing up and people acknowledging, hey, that we are all together, we're all doing life together. Now, another thing that came out of, and again, this is me, this is mine, and I don't know why anyone wouldn't expect this, especially from me, but the cool thing that came out of, here we go, cell phones. Now, granted, they were two to $3,000 a month, and that was like the, the budget plan. <laughs> and they were also the size of like, you know, the stool here. They, I mean, they were like huge. And my first cell phone was in one of those, you remember those Felix the Bag medical case kits? Yeah, I had one of those that I'd carry around. At that time, I thought I was cool. Obviously not. But those were like some of the good things. And you guys have in your head some of the good things that came out of the 80s, but also there were some not so cool things uh, that came out of the 80s. And once they did turn hip hop into rap, it was not that good. Because it went from just celebrating, hey, this is great, this is life, here's my life, to demeaning and dehumanizing uh, women and other people and putting focuses on all kind of bad stuff. And it was no longer about the music or the culture. Uh, it was just about so much stuff that was just not cool. Uh, so for me personally, as we got to the end of the 80s, I like started like not being so fond of, of rap music. Loved hip-hop, not so fond of rap. Also, one of the bad things, big hair. Not trying to call anybody out, all right? Not saying anything about anyone who has had or will have big hair. But it wasn't. Now, we can admit, those of us that were around, there were a lot of not good fashion things about the 80s, okay? Anyone have stonewashed jeans? Okay, all right. Back then, they were cool. Try going to the mall today. Not, not, not that cool. Now, here's the thing, another thing, and this is, uh, some guys actually had this, but mostly ladies. Remember the shoulder pads? Everyone's, your shoulders had to be like three, like near your ears because they were big shoulder pads and all that kind of stuff. Now, personally, personally, I had... Um, and maybe this was just me because I also liked the metal music, but there was a phase uh, where I had a, like, spiked choker collar and spiked wristbands that I wore around. That was then. I don't have any at home now. Christy would not allow that. But uh, the other thing, how many remember Miami Vice? Yeah. And I had, and it was, it was, I don't care what you say, I thought it was cool. I had a pink blazer that I wore out to the clubs when I went clubbing, and I thought I looked cool, and that's all that mattered. But there's a lot of stuff, bad stuff, fashion stuff. The 80s were not the greatest time fashion-wise, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But here's another bad thing that came out of the 80s, and that was crack. That was It wasn't just the drug crack, and I don't mean crack like I call brickle crack because it's highly addictive and good, but the actual drug crack. And why it was bad is because whoever does this, apparently there was this global meeting and everyone decided that, hey, cocaine, which was a highly addictive drug of choice, but it was so expensive that somehow they came up with, whoever came up up with crack, which had cocaine in it, so it was highly addictive, but it was so dirt cheap that people got hooked on it in droves, whole entire cultures and cities, and it spread like wildfire. And you see the same thing today where people are getting hooked on uh, cheaper and cheaper drugs that, that cost cheaper uh, to buy, and people it's a lot easier for people to get hooked on it. 
So a lot of good stuff came out of the 80s. A lot of bad stuff came out of the 80s. One of the things that kind of swept by that a lot of people didn't notice that came out of the 80s is a return to the church. Now, I don't know if you can see this up here, but mega churches did exist prior to the 80s, but they started to really blow up in the 80s. And a lot of things contributed to that. One was um, all the racial tension from the 60s and the 70s, um, a lot of it heavy in the 60s, and people trying to get over it in the 70s, even though there was this awkward tension. Uh, in the 80s, you had a lot of people that weren't around in the 60s that were like, oh, it's okay for the races to mix. So they just did. So they started going to church together. Also, you had some of the people that did participate in some of the, you know, the, the, the racial tensions of the 60s and 70s that were just trying to move on past it. You had a lot of people that experienced um, as technology, like not just the cell phone, but technology and computers overall, the stuff started to blow up and people started to get more prosperous. They started to go to church together. And a lot of the walls that kept people separated were broken down and more people started to going to church together. And if you look today, there are mega churches like all over uh, the United States. And uh, a lot of things made it easier. One of the things, and I'm, I'm trying to find a way to say this without offending anyone, but um, well, let me let me preface it with this. A lot of the churches used to have a lot of liturgy, where they would have like responsive readings and prayers and candle lightings and uh, maybe uh, someone reading the scripture or leading a prayer instead of just a pastor doing it, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But what happened is they started to make that cookie cutter to where you would walk in and there'd be uh, a liturgist, you know, a psalm read, a candle lit, and the sermons were like 10 minutes long so that you can have this liturgy, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it was the exact same thing week after week after week, the exact same way, sometimes the exact same songs, week after week after week. And then in the 80s, really started in the 70s, but it hit a highlight in the 80s, people started saying there's different ways to worship Christ. We can worship him with more music. We can worship him with longer messages, which some of you say, no, please, no, but longer than 10 minutes. Uh, and people started to come to churches that were saying, hey, there's nothing wrong with liturgy. We'll keep the liturgy, but we're going to just worship Christ any way possible and by all means necessary. All right. So uh, people began sharing also Christ with each other before. Um, well, especially today, if you look around today, it's not popular to go back into your workplace and share. We had an awesome time on Sunday. You know, we were talking about church in the 80s, and, you know, here's what God did for me in the 80s and blah, blah, blah. Can't do that today. But in the 80s, people went back, and they said, hey, I had an awesome time. What would you do this weekend? Oh, I went to church. I had an awesome time. We were talking about this and that. And they would sit down and have conversations, and then either the next Sunday or several Sundays after, they'd bring those people with them to church. And the churches grew. And there was this huge return to the church, all right? So here's what we're going to do. I want to look through um, the Bible because one of the things that made the 80s so powerful is that when people returned to the church, the entire family went. Mothers, brothers, sons, daughters, fathers, stepkids, adopted kids, neighbors' kids. I mean, some of you guys remember where, you know, when you went to church, it may not have been with your parent. Another parent came by, picked you up, and said, yeah, we're going to church. Come with us. Whole families and communities went to church together to worship God together. And here's one of the key things that made it okay is because the people that came into the church, you know, a lot of them had issues. A lot of them had, like, baggage. But it was okay to 
to walk into the church and not be perfect. It was okay to walk in knowing, you know, yeah, I, I was one of the, the people that was addicted to crack, but now I want to come to know Christ. That was okay. I was one of the people who had a messed up family life, but that's okay. I was one of the people that was poor and penniless or homeless, and I'm trying to get my life back together, and now you walk into the church. No one judged you. They just accepted you and said, come worship with us. Whole families went. Whole communities went. And there was this huge return to the church. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. And in Matthew, chapter 1, um, I, I want to show you this, this, this lineage. Many of you guys are very familiar with this. It's the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and it talks about his genealogy. And some of you guys heard this. But one of the things that we need to do today in the church is um, today what happens is we've, we've kind of gone like, you know, up, down, up, down, up, down. There, were, there was a time when it was okay, regardless of what your issues were. I just want to come and worship Jesus. Hey, that's okay. Then we kind of went to this thing where you had to, you had to dress up and you had to, you know, put on a suit and a tie and everything because you had to give your best. And we said only these people who come dressed right and come in the right way are accepted in the church. Then we've kind of slipped back or we're trying to go back to the way Jesus did, which was doesn't matter how you come. Just come and worship and experience God. And there was this, this, this cycle of, of the, the church being the one to determine who is acceptable to walk into the church. And that's not the way it was meant to be. And if you walk through this genealogy, starting in chapter 1, it says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2 says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. And many, Isaac, many of you guys have heard this before. Abraham was uh, not like a Christian. He wasn't what we would call, uh, you know, a Hebrew or Jewish person. Abraham, before God called him, he was a worshiper of multiple gods because that's the culture that he lived in. He worshiped multiple gods. He worshiped the God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of the harvest, the God of the fields, the God of the sheep, all, all these different gods he worshiped, and that was commonplace. So he wasn't like this perfect person who knew God and acknowledged God, and God said, leave and come follow me. When God spoke to him, it probably freaked him out because the God of the moon didn't speak to him, the God of the trees didn't speak to him, the God of the rivers didn't speak to him, and all of a sudden God spoke to him. And if you read in Acts, it actually tells us that the first time, God had to call him twice because God said, come and leave your family, and he didn't. He stayed with his family. The second time God said, come and leave your family, then he left his family and obeyed God. So he obviously had some issues. Um, he says, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, Judah, if you're familiar with his name, you've heard it all throughout the Bible. Line of the tribe of Judah, Judah, who was one of the um, 12 tribes of Israel. But Judah was actually, his wife was Tamar, or it says that whose mother was Tamar, speaking of Perez and Zerah, because Tamar wasn't Judah's wife. Judah actually ended up sleeping with his daughter-in-law, which was on accident. He was actually trying to sleep with a prostitute, but didn't know that that was his daughter-in-law. So he's obviously not the shining light that we would see as, hey, he's the patriarch or, or whatever. But he's someone who God looked at and said, hey, despite your issues, despite whatever, I want to use you. I want you to be a worshiper of me. All right? 
And then it says, verse 4, Ram, the father of Abinadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Solomon, and Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, I'm trying to word this in a way that, that doesn't, but um, this, this, I just might be a little high on the shock your mama scale, but uh, if, when you read most, and if you've ever heard anyone talk about Rahab, they always said she was a prostitute, right? That's not quite the correct word. It's the most acceptable word. And the Bible, when it speaks of it, when the Bible, when, when people talk, they're not trying to lie, but they're trying to be respectful while communicating the truth. But if we were to write this today, the person that God was speaking to to say, write the genealogy, in, instead of prostitute, it would refer to her as a, forgive my language, as a slut. That's what she would be called if this were being written today. The nice way to say it would be a promiscuous woman, which those two words still have a lot, a lot of difference. But yet this is a woman who God, again, says, hey, I know you have issues. I know there's stuff going on, but I can use you. Come and be a worshiper of me. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Now, as we read on, and most of you guys know this already, David was the father of Solomon. David was a murderer. He was an adulterer whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Solomon was the wisest man on the planet, but he had a womanizing problem, like to a degree that no one on this planet has ever seen. 1,000 women altogether, 300 wives, 700 concubines, or friends with benefits. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa. Now, Rehoboam, most of us don't know much about him. He only gets this much, like, attention, but he's the guy who split and caused the split in Israel to where it was one nation and then it became the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Israel. Forever, forever, he is remembered as the guy who split God's people and the most powerful nation on earth at the time. That's his legacy. But still, God used him. Now, here's the cool thing. I'm not going to read through the rest, but if you drop down to... Verse 17, it says, There's thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Now, if you look at the first 14, starting in verse 2, uh, the first 14 are just people who messed up, people who made mistakes, people who kind of had accidents, people who had issues, people who had stuff going on in their lives, just like we do but God still used them. If you look at the next 14, starting, starting with David, it talks about not just people who messed up, but kings who messed up. These are people who supposedly, if they mess up, people die, lives are at stake, there are national consequences. Same way we kind of look at our politicians, but yet God showed them grace and mercy and love and said, I still want you to be a worshiper of me. And I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, Republican or Democrat. I don't do the political thing. That's why I'm an independent. But what if regardless of who is in office, the church showed grace and prayed for and tried to encourage and support whoever was in office? But also, what if the church, in order to help determine who was in office, all went and said, God, I'm only going to vote for who you tell me. 
Now, supposedly, and we talked about this before, there's like some 200 million people who claim to be Christians in the United States. What would happen if they all voted the same way? Powerful, powerful statement. Not so much complaining about what's going on in the nation because we are submitting to God's will. and We're also doing what he tells us to do, to pray for those in authority over us. Now, the last list of 14, um, the last list, some of those people are priests. See, and we, we get it in our head that sometimes you have to be this set way. You've got to be perfect. You've got to have all your ducks in a row. you got to, you know, I can't have ever messed up. And that's not what God wants. We were having a conversation with some family this weekend, and we were talking about, you know, the way that people look at and try to, even though we're not in this Old Testament era, people still try to follow this list of rules. If I do this right and I do this and I do that, then I'll be okay in God's sight. And God already knows none of us are okay. You can look at the person next to you and say, you're not okay. It's okay because they're looking at you saying, you're not okay. And we know that. We have stuff. We have issues. We're not perfect. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. All he wants us to do is to come to him. He's the perfect one. And if we do come to him, then what happens is instead of us trying to be this perfect thing, we can acknowledge that, hey, if kings can mess up, if priests can mess up, and God still love them, then God can love me too. And here's the thing. When we come like that, God will make us into, literally, kings and priests. I'm going to put this verse up here. And you can look it up if you want, but uh, you can check it out up here. This is what the apostle John writes in his opening dissertation, for lack of a better term, his opening greeting in the book of Revelation. He says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now, I wish I had time to go into the seven spirits because that's like an awesome, awesome thing. Uh, Further on down the road, a couple of weeks down the road, we'll go into that in the new year. All right. And then he says this, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us. And again, he's reiterating, God loves us. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. All the issues that we're trying to correct, he takes away. He washes them away. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to acknowledge him. And this is what he says. He says, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we put aside the list of things that we want to live up to or that we expect other people to live up to, and we just acknowledge God, hey, we've all got issues. We we all don't get it right. Uh, We all make mistakes. We all have stuff wrong in our lives. We've all got some issues that we've tried to get over or are trying to get over or are trying to maybe move on from. And what happens is a lot of people, when they come into the church, uh, they look at other people and we look at the way they're dressed. We look at maybe uh, what they drove up in. Uh, We look at something and we judge them and we form this judgment about them. And sometimes it's hurtful and sometimes it's harsh. And I've talked to people that said that they were judged because of what they wore. They were judged because of their family status because either they were divorced or because they were a single parent or, or for this or for that or because they had this job or that job and didn't make enough money like all the other people. And here's the thing. God just says, come. 
And it's really cool because there's going to be a day in heaven where all of the rich people that acknowledge God as their Savior, and I'm talking rich. I'm not talking like, like, uh, like, like, like Michael Jordan rich. I'm talking the guy who pays Michael Jordan rich, that level of rich, like, like filthy rich. There's going to be those people sitting and praising and worshiping at the feet of Jesus along with the people who barely made $7 an hour. And they're going to be together acknowledging the love of Christ and celebrating and rejoicing him. And what would be really cool is if instead of waiting until we get to heaven, we started that now. That we started when we go out and talk to people about the love of Christ. We're not just talking to the people who we think are at the same financial status or talking to the people who we think, um, well, they don't have as many issues, but we just go out and share the love of Christ. This is why Christmas is so awesome. Because it sparks something in people that makes them want to celebrate and talk about this, the birth of Christ. That it makes people want to say, hey, you know what? My issues don't matter. This is Christmas time. This is what it's all about. Rejoicing that God loved us so much that he stepped out of his kingdom, his heavenly kingdom, to come down and be born as a child. Now, I don't want to offend anybody, but being a baby after being God is a huge step down. I mean, going from, like, commanding the universe, and I'm not saying that he still wasn't God, but going from commanding to universe, to, I know, I'm hitting the shot your mama scale again, but having to have someone wipe your butt is a huge step down. But that's how much he loved us. And if he could do that, surely we could invite people that we know and share the birth of Christ and celebrate Christmas with people that we know. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and as they do, I want to spend just a a moment in in prayer before we sing because, as I said before, the birth of Christ, it it, it literally rocked the universe. And prior to probably within the last 100, 150 years, it was a globally accepted phenomena that God loved everyone in the world, so much so that he sent his son to be born in a manger And Christmas is something that regardless of what age you're from, people all over the world know it. It unites people. Uh, And uh, even in World War II and and sometime after that, there were people that were fighting that during Christmas. They said, we're going to stop killing each other so we can celebrate and rejoice in the birth of Christ. Of course, the day after you were running for your life, but that's how important Christmas was. But this, as I said before, as important as it is, pales in comparison if we don't get this, what he did for us on the cross. Because the only reason he did this is so that he could pay for our sins through that. Without the cross, this means nothing. But with the cross, 
This is the single most powerful act of love in the universe, and it only pales into comparison to God shedding his blood so that we could be kings and priests in him. I'm going to ask you to stand, and as we sing this song, I want you to just, again, just acknowledge that God loved us so much that he came down and, and spent not just as a baby, but as a, a youth. I don't know what high school was like 2,000 years ago, but if it's anything like today, it wasn't like a joy. And all of that, just so he could shed his blood for us. Before we sing, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we acknowledge that your love knows no bounds. We acknowledge that at this time of the year, there are people who are missing loved ones and seeking family relationships. And I pray, I pray, I pray that you would use us to reach out to those people and love them like crazy. And where you allow us to, where you give us a a doorway, that we get to share the significance of the birth of Christ, but the power of the sacrifice of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me share this with you quickly, because if you've been around, you know, at the end of each of these weeks we've been doing this series, we've been sharing a song from that time. So we did uh, Away in the Manger, which was written late 1800s when we did A Christmas Carol. Uh, we did Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And we did World War II. There were no good Christmas songs that came out of the 80s. Other than uh, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You. Uh, maybe we'll do that next year. <laughs> but I just figured if we just sing this song and just get our hearts focused on, hey, connecting the manger with the cross, then we can't help but have a Merry Christmas, knowing that God loved us enough to be born for us and also to die for us. So as you leave today, just go and bless somebody, uh, spend some time with family in the coming days and over Christmas. And if you don't make it back for Christmas Eve, I pray that you have a very awesome and very Merry Christmas. Have an awesome Sunday. God bless.